0: Hello, I am Pete Real, a high school English and Spanish teacher, an avid reader, and an aspiring writer. Thank you for listening to the Chills at Will podcast, in which we explore the visceral beauty of literature and its connection to our culture, our history, and ourselves. Welcome to episode 215 of the Chills of Will Podcast. Pleasure today to be joined by Nick Fuller Guggins. And here's a bit about Nick. He's the author of the novel The Great Transition. There it is, if you're watching at home. From Atrio Books, came out in August of this year. His short fiction and essays have appeared in the Paris Review, Men's Health, The Sun, The Los Angeles Times, and elsewhere. He lives in Maine and works as an elementary school teacher. He's a member of the Maine Writers and Publishers Alliance, as well as the National Education Association, which is the largest labor union in the United States. Man, I've read this over before, of course, but like every time I find something new, that's the largest labor union in the United States.
1: Yeah, the Teachers Union. Heck yeah.
0: Yeah. All right. (laughs) And And then tell me about, well, first of all, welcome. Sorry. Thanks,
2: Pete. And so psyched to be here. Thank you. Thank you. Oh,
0: psyched to have you on. Men's Health. Is that like the stereotypical like workout things or is it more like what kind of stuff did you have in men's health?
2: Yeah. So I, I had an article about uh, my experience with the health insurance industry, which Uh is may imagine it was not (laughs) a delightful experience. Um, My wife and I, like families all over the country have just experienced a a, like living dystopia Mm. with, um, with medical, with the health insurance industry. Yeah, Yeah. And which led, you know, this is a whole nother story, but it Mm -hmm. led to um, an illness being undiagnosed um, which then became a much bigger issue. Um, And it's like so many people just so enraging. And so this essay was about what happened, but also just kind of like the maddening, yeah, dystopia, it really really does feel like a dystopia. Uh, Um, And anyway, men's health, from what I understood, they were trying they're trying to kind of expand the their audience sure. from, from the kind of articles you mentioned to including mm-hmm. stuff like this. Mm-hmm. And then I just had um, this past year, they published another piece of mine about kind of like the mental health aspect of what it's like to teach elementary school mm-hmm. in what I call the era of school shootings. Yeah. Um, and just kind of that, because uh, you know I teach fourth grade and we can't talk about those things with my students.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: so we just pretend everything's fine when we've had a big scare at the school, and that kind of like, you know, it's 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 really messes with you. Anyway, so they published two articles. By oh my, wow!
1: Yeah.
0: Oh, I appreciate that. I'll, I'll I'll try to include those in the in the episode notes. Really interesting. Wow, and and maddening and saddening, like you said.
1: Yeah. Uh,
0: on, on a lighter note, before we get into some of the the heavier stuff and and the incredible book, IGAM. I think I got the acronym right in the book. Indisputable. Um, golden age of music music yeah and is that is that an objective statement taking yourself out of the book this is M- emmy in the book and talking about like the 90s were like the indisputable greatest era of music uh, you know man
2: would you agree with that you know when i set out to, to write the book i was i, th- I would think i was a lot more open-minded as emmy is she's okay. she's very uh it has an eclectic taste in all these music mm. but by the end over the years of listening to music thinking about what she's going to listen to next mm. i did come to the con- objective conclusion as you put mm. it um, that it is in fact the golden age of music yes
0: okay you have a gavel you know what i mean just boom yeah
2: it's it's official
0: <laughs> it has been promulgated yes awesome right. Not to say that you were old in the nineties. I bet you were really, really young. I'd love to know about uh, growing up in the nineties, two thousands, but more so about your early reading and writing and your relationship
2: with the written word. Mm, that's such a great question because I teach. I teach fourth grade. I teach nine and ten year olds, and so I love asking people the same thing. Right. And especially, I love finding out, like from other from writers, like wh- what was it or like who was it the first you know, gave you a compliment or Mm. or told you, you were good at writing. And usually people, I mean, not just for writing, but for anything can chase, you know, can really chase it back in their lives. So like, oh, this teacher or this uncle, or my dad told me this at an early age. Mm -hmm. Um, I really enjoyed um, reading. Like I was just a voracious reader. I like this summer, because I have the summers off as a teacher and I get to read, I get to write a lot. I had this experience this summer that brought me right back to, um, like fourth, fifth grade summers, Mm -hmm. which was one of my favorite things, which was getting, having a great book and then like reading myself to exhaustion.
0: Oh man. Then
2: waking up in the morning and just like rolling over, grabbing the book and just picking up right where I left off. Oh man. Uh, So I, I get to do that this summer where I read, um, the deluge, another, um, climate fiction novel. Okay. And then I'd never read The Stand by Stephen King, mm. so I got to read two huge novels. Anyway, I was a big writer. I was a really big writer, I'm sorry, reader, um, growing up. And then I came to writing uh, a lot later. Um, I was in my, I always enjoyed it. But in my 20s, I started, I started actually, I my, my wife's from California, we met out there. I was living out in uh, Venice. Mm-hmm. And I wrote a little article for the Santa Monica mirror, a tiny oh, little newspaper. Yeah. And they paid me 40 bucks, I think, for it. Oof. I couldn't believe it. And But that little affirmation, you know, mm. convinced me, yeah, oh, I should write another article on another one. And so I, I started out writing kind of community happy story journalism, like mm. local teen surfing competition or yeah, uh, you yeah. know, things like that.
0: <laughs> oh, that's cool. Do you remember the Argonaut?
2: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah. yeah, another local paper out there, and there was one other I wrote for um, the Santa Monica Mirror and the Santa Monica Daily Press. It was another one.
0: Nice. Uh, yeah. I hope you never came into. Hope you never came into contact with Stephen Miller out in Santa Monica.
2: No, no, okay. luckily, yeah. uh, luckily yeah. not. I was covering, um, yeah, all this stuff I covered was way. It was just, it was just happy, happy community. Yeah, yeah, yeah
0: nice and we need we need room for that right yeah definitely who um who were some of the readers some of the writers or some of the genres or some of the books the text you know as you got into high school college that really just even in those early days like you said they're so formative like they really just gave you the the chills at will they're really just like thrilling to you like holy crap
1: I so I
2: remember maybe 13 or 14 years old um Someone gave me, it was probably my father gave me a Stephen King novel.
1: Mm-hmm. And
2: that was kind of like my gateway into, you know, like real adult literature, which mm-hmm. before I'd been reading uh young adult, you know, younger stuff. Mm-hmm. And I just devoured those. Yeah, we, I would go on family vacations and I would just stay, <laughs> I would just like stay in our room uh-huh. reading Stephen King books. Awesome. Um, so he he played a huge. He was really influential mm. um, in my life, and then it's been really fun, not being back here in Maine. You know, he's a Maine. He's from Maine, mm-hmm. and he truly is like a state celebrity.
1: Yeah,
2: we'll have you know, like I just had a parent teacher conference with um one of my students' father, who's a he was a construction worker. Like mm-hmm. he came to the conference in you know concrete splattered pants. Mm-hmm. Like not maybe not someone you'd think is uh has like tons of time to read and we ended up just talking about like our love for stephen king Stephen king reader so anyway um that's kind of been full circle for me being back here
0: that's cool um stephen king needs to get a copy of the great transition
2: oh i've tried i've tried i know I know i should um i'm going up to bangor this weekend to uh do a uh a talk at briar patch books which is a really Mm -hmm. amazing bookstore up there Nice. And that's where he lives. So maybe I should just kind of toss one over the fence.
0: Yeah. All right. Um, you talk about being a teacher and you know, fourth grade. We need so many more males, right? In the younger grades, they, they don't, students don't see that as much. I wonder about how much teaching affects your writing and vice
2: versa. Mm, yeah, this school, this school, it's like so true what you say about the, the gender ratio. And for whatever reason, there's in I, I teach in a really big school now. There's 10 fourth grade classes. Whoa. And we have five, five male teachers, five female teachers. It's the first wow. time I've ever been in school that's been anything like that. Wow. Um, and there's a third grade, there's a male third grade teacher who's also a writer, and he's mm-hmm. published a children's book. Mm-hmm. Um, but so we, you know, I think that it, it's so interesting. Like we teach the same curriculum every year. And the first unit for writing we always teach is it's the short story. They call it the fictional narrative, but it's a short story unit and it's so fun to teach because that's like most Americans who've gone through an MFA program. That's what that's what we've been trained on. Mm-hmm. And it's so it's really fun to bring to bring all these tricks that you know I've learned from, like little things that I might have learned from um. You know, Akeel Sharma or uh, Tayari Jones or Alice Elliott Dark, mm. just little tricks. And, uh, and then I'm sharing them with some nine-year-olds. And they, <laughs> and they can totally pick up on it, little things, like little little tips and tricks. Uh-huh. But then it is really interesting, like you're saying, that this, um, then it affects me too. And so, like for The Great Transition, a big spark, the first idea for this book it's a as a as a hopeful climate crisis book like that was kind of my mm-hmm. first thought of what i wanted to do mm-hmm. uh, I, was, I thought like i want to write a climate crisis utopia mm-hmm. and later on it dawned on me that one of the prompts we use in fourth grade for generating story ideas is come up with some ideas for stories that you wish existed in the world yeah and kids will do this these really heartbreaking autobiographical, you know, stories. Well, the, you know, a kid who feels really lonely, a story he wishes existed in the world might be like, you know, I wish there was a story about a boy who wasn't bullied anymore and made a friend. And you know, it's and so I realized anyway, that's what I was doing, but on a huh. or on like a macro level for this book where I was like, yeah. oh, this is a story I wish existed in the world. So all was to say is like even teaching, you know, even teaching kids Sometimes, um, often, I th- I'll be at the end of it or in the middle of a lesson, I'll be thinking, oh, that's actually, uh, yeah, that's a good point. I should I should take that to heart.
0: Right. Do the, do the students know you have the, oh, I say that, I feel like I saw on your social media there might've been some unboxing with, like the students know that you- Yes, have, yeah, yeah. So I should
2: that. that was so fun sharing that with my students. So last year I got to experience with them, like I get to tell them that I had this book coming out and I would also show them, you know, uh, a literary magazine or something, right, Mm -hmm. a story, just to let them know, you know, like, I'm just a regular person in their lives. And uh, I just loved writing and kept doing it. And like, I tell them, you all can totally do this, too. Mm -hmm. And so then, yeah, last year, when the box of advanced copies came, and it's kind of a, I feel like it's kind of a tradition now of writers to unbox it, Mm -hmm. first box on video. Mm -hmm. um, But I couldn't, I couldn't video all my students for privacy reasons, but we did. I got to unbox it with them and pass it around and it was really cute and fun. And then some of them started reading it. And so I had to say, all right, everybody, you know, pass them back because not that it's, you know, it's not gratuitous, but it's not meant for nine year olds. Uh, So I just had them pass it back. But then this year has been really fun to show like the final product, in which there are two typos in the book so far that I've found. Oh, I think
0: I caught one. I think I caught okay. one. And
2: the editor told me, even though it went through so many rounds, he said, "You know, just you can pretty much guarantee there's going to be at least one typo in the final book. <laughs> like it's okay, it's going to happen."
0: Can I? So can, that I can I show? Can I guess. Can I guess?
2: Yeah. I want to well,
0: say. Maybe. I want to say. I feel like I saw it on the on the right side of the page. I don't know if that makes it even or odd but um was it an extra s like a plural or an or or a plural or a possessive that shouldn't have been
2: you you might have found it this one was a misspelling of the word tundra for the this basketball team
0: Uh, okay
2: but um it was fun to show the students you know some of them get so worked up about making mistakes and making sure everything's perfect Mm. and uh, i can tell them a million times that everyone makes mistakes but it was fun to be able to hold up this book and say you know myself and and ten professional editors went through <laughs> this book a million times, and we still did this. Um
1: So
2: yeah, I tried to share with them um, little, little, little things and little, little victories all the time. And also, I brought in my whole stack of rejection slips that I've gotten um, over the years, mm. um, just to show them that you know, rejection's part of part of life and part of becoming an artist. Yeah. Had them count. I had them count all my rejections and sort them into different groups.
1: And (laughs)
2: um, so, yeah, I try. I try to share little fun things for my writing life.
0: That's cool. You're talking about some of the kids got the books, and you know, you got them back quickly. But what if one of them was like, "I'm going to join the Furies," and you're like, oh,
2: shoot, too late." You know? Yeah. I mean, I might not.
1: Yeah. Well, we did. That'd be a good thing. uh,
2: (laughs) We talk about. Um, I I try to talk about the climate crisis. Um, you know, in an age-appropriate way in my classroom, Mm. like in one. Way one entry point that's been really fun is watching videos of Greta Thunberg's speeches. Oh yeah, yeah. Because she, especially when she was younger, uh, first of all that she like sat out from school. They love that. They're mm-hmm. Like, wait, what do you mean? And she just skipped school to make mm-hmm. a point. Yes. And then that she calls out the hypocrisy of all the adults mm. that she'll go to the UN and say like, you all say you're doing this and you're not and any kid can call out like every kid knows that adults are hypocritical yeah. um, and so they love that and so you mm-hmm. know we, we get into it a little bit and then i did have one student from last year who's an amazing reader uh, and her mom her mom emailed me and told me she's reading the whole book so i don't know what she'll get out of
1: it, right
2: that'll be interesting to see
0: <laughs> that's awesome that's, I feel like that's the origin story of so many authors. It's just they read above their age group, you know. Mm, and so yeah. I think that's great. Yeah.
1: Yeah, that's a good point. Yeah.
0: The, um, so Mama Greta, she is in the book, right?
2: Yes. Yeah. Greta, yeah. I, I want, yeah, I wonder, you know, like so many things. I'd never written a book. Everything that I'd written pretty much is before this was contemporary literary fiction. Mm-hmm. A couple stories that were a little, Fabulous, the little fantastical. Mm-hmm. Um, but this was like the, this was the first thing I did that was set in the near future, and so it was fun, both fun and a challenge to imagine where different parts of the world would be. Mm-hmm. And that was one thing that just struck me is that Greta has had such an interesting. It's really like such such a unique figure
1: mm-hmm. in being
2: a child celebrity, and not for, not for an art or for sport. And yeah, it just made me. Like, she's got so much life ahead of her hmm. um, in forty or fifty years. Yeah, be a legend. Who knows? Right,
0: right, right, right. No, that's so cool that your students see this. I mean, we our students need to see right that like there are people living today who are writing. It's not just eighty years yeah. ago. You right. Know, Well, here's my transition, but um, to the great transition. Yeah. The great transition came out in August of this year. It's got a really cool cover. Um, it's uh, as you can see, it's not able to get the whole word transition on one line. Pretty big, big font and everything like that, right? Some great blurbs, including from like Allegra Hyde, you know, who's gotten, um, and Matt Bell, who have had really highly acclaimed books about similar subjects. Alice Elliott Dark, you know. Um, some great things to say. And, you know, like I said, before we started recording, congratulations, it's a heck of achievement. And I want to call you out on a lie, on a lie of yours. You know, you claim that this is your first book. That's not, that can't be true. Can it? How are you going to write this good of a book in your first book? That's not true.
2: Oh, so Ray right, first published book, but
0: mm, uh, I don't know. I don't know about that two, think, two books. You wrote under, un, under a, a pseudonym or something
2: like that before. Right. <laughs> uh, yeah. I have two, two books before this that I think like probably a lot of people never, um, Never saw the light of day.
0: Right, right, right. I'd love to know about some of the the seeds for the book.
2: Sure. Yeah. Yeah. This one I know. I mean, I can almost chase it back to almost the day where I had that idea for it. Mm. Uh, because it was in the summer of 2018, mm. which is important for a reason I'll get to in a minute. But the um uh, I had a summer job installing solar panels. Mm in Maine. And so I'd actually gotten trained. I'd learned how to do this in LA where where my wife's from, we were living out there. And there's this amazing organization called Grid Alternatives. Mm. That is like a microcosm for the Green New Deal. It's amazing. It operates right out of downtown LA. They have this huge warehouse and they train for free. Uh, Anyone who wants to learn how to install solar, but they have an extra special focus on like former um, incarcerated Mm. individuals um, and, you know, any disadvantaged folks um, have priority to get trained up. And then all the installations happen in low income areas Mm. that are often frontline communities. Like I didn't know that in Los Angeles um, there's so much fossil fuel infrastructure Mm. until I started going out and learning how to install solar panels. And we would get sent out to places like Downey Mm. that were, uh, very low-income neighborhoods completely surrounded by oil refineries and rigs and all this. And so anyway, that's where I learned how to, the basics. And then we, we moved to Maine and I got hired onto the solar crew. And so this was August of 2018. And I really, really enjoyed this work. Uh, I loved, like, I love working with my hands. I love working outside. And I have cared about the environment for a long time. I grew up in the woods and I've been involved in different environmental You know volunteering for different groups and things like that so anyway i was really enjoying this work i found it really fulfilling and then this was the moment where alexandria ocasio-cortez in brooklyn had won her upset primary Mm. and so she was in the news and it was the first time i'd ever heard of the green new deal this plan to put tens of millions of americans to work installing solar and wind and remediating wetlands and installing high-speed rail and doing everything we need to do to turn around the climate crisis and it was the first time I'd ever felt the least bit hopeful like oh my god Mm -hmm. we could actually pull ourselves out of this very very scary trajectory we're on Mm -hmm. and here's a plan and we have all the technology and we have all the money and all the people and like here it is and so that I as I like, this came out as I was installing solar. And so I started fantasizing, like, oh my God, I could be a part of this. If this passed, mm-hmm. I could, you know, join the solar core or something mm-hmm. and uh, spend like two or three or five years of my life um, in, in this almost like military mobilization to save the planet. And what an amazing feeling that would be. Mm-hmm. So that's from that was the first spark. And like, obviously, that did not happen in real life, but in the fiction part of my brain. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, I ran with that, and that, and then it became okay. I want to write this climate crisis utopia, where a couple some people are swept up in this mobilization,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and also at the same time, there's this campaign to uh, assassinate the living climate criminals, and that 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 I just had those two ideas and thought about it for a year probably, just reading and thinking about it, and then I dove into a ton of research. Reading about you know sea level rise and um, and and you know glacial melt and all these different things, um, and then I started writing it right at the beginning of 2020, mm. and then the pandemic hit, and um, that was you know I can talk uh, that that was just an interesting kind of point of synchronicity in that at the beginning of the pandemic, I actually saw a lot of hopeful things like people coming out for each other mutual aid organizations popping up Mm -hmm. and it was a strange moment of like reminding me that i really feel like we're good at heart like human beings are good people and want to help each other given the right you know movements to join um and so that 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 energy kind of went into the very beginning
1: of the novel
0: Mm. wow very interesting i appreciate that the the book takes a long view as far as you look back i I don't know you're not going to put a year on it i'm sure but like there was part in the book where it's like the 1990s and someone said like great grandma or something like that mm-hmm. so you know it's I don't know 40 50 60 yeah in decades yeah decades yeah. right right in taking such a long view where you write it let's say 2060 or whatever just for the sake of you sure. know just, right theoretically or whatever yeah and then you know you write about like the 90 you going know, back to the 90s and stuff like Mama Greta and all that did, did taking such a long view did that open up your creativity? Like what, you know what I mean? It's kind of like, you're able to like step back further, even though it's not a, a, not a world that has happened yet, not years that have, have happened yet. Are you able to kind of take a longer view, take a different view in that, and, and therefore open up your creativity?
2: Oh, totally. I mean, sometimes I think, sometimes I think it feels like we're just kind of stuck in this moment and like, especially politically, it's like, oh, we're in this, this like two party system and oh my God, like they're both running again and like nothing's ever <laughs> changed. Um, and we forget, like looking back at history, like things change so quickly. When they mm. when things start to change, It's they, it changes so fast. Mm. And I feel like this happens politically um, and with technology. Mm. And then unfortunately now also is going to be happening um, environmentally, like as we reach all these tipping points, mm-hmm. things are gonna change very quickly. And so sometimes I would think to myself, like, you know, yeah, like again, I've never written any science fiction. I don't know. I kind of called this like science fiction light, um, mm-hmm. but anything set in the near future and would think, you know, like, uh, what, what do I know about like, what things are going to look like this isn't realistic that people are going to live in Greenland in a mega city. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, but then, you know, I take a step back and think, you know if you were if you grew up in the early 1900s and lived uh 80 years like how much that world yeah changed and um so that you're like you're saying absolutely it really did kind of I feel like it gave me a little bit of a license to be a little more free and, and if anything um especially when it came to writing technology yeah like this was something I wanted to tread very carefully because in, in, in you know there's a lot of people like uh, who, you know, who talk about the singularity and like the exponential growth of technology who might say in 40 or 50 years, like what we think of as new technology is, is so short-sighted that mm. change in such a huge way, like we've seen the last few years with AI. Mm-hmm. Um, so if anything, some of these like, you know, big ideas of huge transformational change in, in some areas might even be like really conservative.
0: Yeah. I, I didn't ask my question as artfully as I wanted to. I get what what I was talking, and your answer is awesome. I just thought it was so interesting and how skillful it was, like about this idea. Of, you know, what more could we have done? The question obviously comes up so many times throughout the book to have yeah. to have made it so that the great transition, which we'll talk about the actual thing in a minute, like so that that was not necessary. Where we're at right now, like what could what could we be doing right now? What could we have done five years ago, ten years ago? You draw like this historical these connections between. Okay, well, you know, some families were adapting. Like Larch in the book, they were adapting, they were making a little money off it, but not in greedy ways, like tinctures and that right, kind of stuff, right. kelp and seaweed, right? Um, Christina's family, Larch's wife, they were doing much more stereotypically, like sit-ins and strong actions like that, strikes and such. You wrote about how like a lot of people were just like, like the drugs got to them. So I'm thinking, you know, the opioid opioid epidemic, yeah, right, like, right. you know, really did trace what is going on now and what has gone in in these recent years the beginning of the book starts with a cooperative day with um emmy who's short for em- emiliana and the whole school gets together around you two why did you uh why did like they just they're just you know this like oh man like this is like my great my great grandparents era or whatever
2: right why, yeah. um,
0: why did you decide to start it off that way
2: with you too yeah She's- Sometimes, I don't know if this ever happens to you, uh, a song will come on. Like, I think the other day I heard Free Fallen by Tom Petty. Okay. right. Just how many times have we heard this song? Sure. And and sometimes I'll really try to imagine or, or think back to the very first time I ever heard um, hmm. you know a song like that or like many u2 songs that we've heard so many times hmm. and uh if i, I try to think, imagine listening to the for the very first time and thinking like okay objectively this is an awesome song hmm. and to try to like recapture that sense of awe uh... so that's what um that's what they're kind of that's what they're kind of experiencing with um with a uh, bloody sunday like you know i just, yeah. just listen to it over and over and think like all right Imagine this is the first time we've ever heard anything like this. This is pretty amazing.
0: <laughs> the the playlist is so varied and so cool. In the book, um, you uh, Emmy says, I think at the end of that first int- the introduction part, quote, music pre crisis sounded different, which is so cool. And so chapter one starts with Emmy. You have you have Emmy and you have um, Larch. They're the two narrators throughout that day. Mom, Christina, she's leaving for quote unquote extraction duty she's not celebrating the, the the z day the beginning of the great transition like so many people in how do you pronounce it nuke? nuke nuke yeah the
2: capital of greenland
0: n-u-u-k okay thank you larch is later talking about let's celebrate us let's celebrate what we've done christina says no not gonna do it she's gonna go and you know kind of work or volunteer and we we get we get it right away that mom is not the most you know touchy-feely like hugs and you're doing okay daughter she's hardened by life, and we find out later why that is. Uh, I wonder if you could talk a little bit about Christina and her her background and what led her to be such a tough-minded person.
2: Yeah, sure. So, yeah, Larch and Christina both become heroes of the transition. Uh, the transition lasts about 10 years. They both get swept up in it, but, like, for for different reasons. Like, Larch is a climate refugee in Maine and is, is living in this convention center, uh, and a recruiter comes in. Um, Christina, on the other hand, her family was originally from Mexico, and they were traveling north, like a lot of climate refugees. Like there's projected to be a billion climate refugees in the next few decades, and um, she's put in an internment camp, separated from her folks. As we, you know, I didn't have to like imagine that part. Mm. Um, that's straight out of straight out of contemporary America, um, and then is offered uh, the chance to join the transition to join the Forest Corps and go fight wildfires as a condition of her freedom. And again, this is drawn from what California does uh, where a lot of the forest fires are fought by inmates. Mm-hmm. Um, and so both Large and Christina, through climate catastrophe, political structures, lose everyone that they knew growing up. They lose their families, they're both orphaned. Um, Christina loses her homeland. Mm-hmm. But then like you're saying, like after they both fight through the transition, if, They work for 10 years and countless deployments Mm. and become kind of celebrities for different reasons. Um, And then when it's all done, they start to develop just these wildly different kind of philosophies where Larch is, as you're saying, like, you know, we fought hard and sacrificed and now it's time to enjoy life, we won. And Christina, on the other hand, is it thinks the job's not over. Mm -hmm. She thinks, you know, the, the transition is never done. And the second we say it's done, it's just setting us up for every, for it to happen all over again. And especially what she can't get over is that the people who caused this, the people who are running these extractive industries, and maybe some of them changed, switched over to try to make renewables at the very end, but she knows a lot of them are still alive and out there and just can't let that go. Like she can't move on um, without, without with that sense of injustice
1: it's mm-hmm. still out there
2: and you know i i don't know i'd never set out to i i got a lot of great advice from some from some great writers to, to, to never set out to write a book about a certain you know um theme like what did sure. that? i was told like i remember george saunders saying like this is a recipe for disaster mm. uh, set out to write a book about justice but as i was writing it it just made me think so much about justice and injustice and how it's like a spectrum. And some people, whether like I see this in my classroom mm-hmm. or on the national level, like some people can forgive really easily, and other people, uh, it just it just like eats away at you if if, if justice isn't 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 upheld.
0: So Emmy, right? She's 15. She's described as anxious, you know, even like doesn't swallow foods necessarily like write smoothies and soft stuff. And she's worried about she might choke or she might fall or this is going to happen. And what about the essay this do? So many of us, I think experience this in different ways, but like, I don't, I don't agree for a minute about the idea of like Tom Brokaw's greatest generation when so much of it was full of racism and sexism and all that. But that generation had some awesome things they did. Right. You know, they went through a lot of things that we, I speak for myself, like never have to go through. Right. This idea that um, basically, Emmy, in speaking about her mother, is like, hey, if you tell someone to feel guilty or lucky, they just won't,
1: Mm -hmm.
0: right? But Christina, again and again, I mean, Christina has gone through some things, to say the very, very least, right? I just wonder about that balance between looking at, and it goes into bigger things about the past and the future and all that too, right? Just about like, man, we had it so hard back then you should really be appreciative of what you got, but also knowing that it's not the person's fault that she was born or he was born in this new time yeah. where things are better, right?
2: Yeah, totally. And and Emmy is born in in Nuke, Greenland, which as I wrote it, is a utopian city. So like mm-hmm. she's literally born into a utopia. Mm-hmm. Uh, like it's worker owned and super egalitarian and eco-friendly and everything's walkable. It would be like a dream city to live in. Hmm. And she's still super anxious. And I think what you're saying is true. Like, I thought, I actually thought a lot about World War II. And specifically, I read for this book, I ended up reading a lot of um, the different books by Svetlana Alekovich, the uh, Belarusian ru- uh, writer. She won okay. the Nobel Prize. Mm. And she writes all oral, um, just these amazing books. Of, she, she interviews people and then um, synthesizes it in such an amazing way. And all of her books are set in Eastern Europe, mostly in the Soviet Union. Mm -hmm. So especially the ones where she's interviewing more contemporary. And these are some women she's interviewed who have gone through like World War II, you know, famine, purges, Chernobyl, Afghanistan. Oh, my God. Uh, And then they're trying to explain, you know, like saying that their kids just don't, their kids don't get it. Um, And then I was thinking about this too last year where my school uh, welcomed in some refugee students from the central, from central Africa. Mm. And uh, you know, these kids are coming in at eight and for sure have seen some terribly traumatic shit, but they're like, they're just, you know, they've been there a year and it just so quickly Mm. and uh, thinking about what their parents have gone through. And it just reminded me again, like how quickly kids can adjust and how quickly within one generation, it's amazing how different it is. And for sure there's like, you know, um, we hear a lot about generational trauma. And so that everything Christina went through is being passed down in some way to Emmy. Uh,
1: Mm -hmm. And
2: also it's not helping Emmy that Christina is reminding her all the time that this, the climate crisis happens, the world was almost destroyed before and it could happen again. And your dad's a fool for you know, giving up on the movement. Um, that's definitely not helping her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Another thing that just went into Emmy's anxiety was that uh, when I had lived out in LA, I tutored for a little before I was teaching um, before I was teaching full time. And I tutored some kids in the Pacific Palisades, which is a very rich area. and a lot of people would say is a utopia. Um, hmm. these kids who have, multiple you know servants and and cooks and everything and who were just crippled with anxiety Mm. some kids where i'd be called in like they couldn't go to school anymore and you'd think why like why what is going on um you have everything you could possibly want in the world Mm. and it was just a reminder too that that anybody but especially at that age and adolescence um there's just always so much to be be anxious about and there's so 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 many big feelings going around for sure
0: Cool like parallel storyline if you will. I don't know if you call it a storyline but it was Emmy she's writing this essay on the great transition. And, uh, you know, it's a teacher, it's pretty cool. You had the annotations and everything, even from the teacher. It seemed very realistic to me. The thesis of her paper, I think, is basically to the fact, like, um, the great transition was great, pardon the, but it should have started earlier, right? It, it was great, but it should have started earlier. Large, who, like you said, he put in many, many years and and put in a lot of blood, sweat, and tears to the transition. I mean, he did the work. But he's also like, hey, let's, we need to enjoy what we've gotten from this. We've earned it. And where Christina is like, yes, we've earned it, but there's very little time, if any, to, to stop and, and do that. But I just wonder about the idea of, of hopefulness, optimism, pessimism, this idea that yes, on November 8th, 2023, we all know that we should have started earlier. And how much that feeds into, well, then we don't start tomorrow or the next day or you know what i mean i guess just ideas of optimism and pessimism you talked about how optimistic it was with like the new green deal ideas um i just wonder about how you kind of view that as like um man we should have started earlier but also like we we can start now we can still do it we can still right, right. It yeah
2: yeah totally and i i think hope is another it's kind of another thing that i didn't i mean i knew i wanted to write a hopeful book in the sense just that humanity wins or I started to think about it as a best worst case scenario, hmm. um, but it got me just thinking a lot about hope and optimism. And I started to think about optimism as kind of, kind of like larch, larch's feeling, and and and, and even kind of like an American attitude, maybe of, uh, you know, like things will turn out, things will be okay, like things are going to turn out all right. Mm-hmm. Just this kind of belief in that, but without actually taking an active of- role in trying to make that happen and um i think americans i know we're just like an optimistic country for probably is very in some ways you know there's some positives to that but also Mm. yeah we've wasted a lot of time when it comes to the climate crisis and then hope on the other hand is like i I really came to think of it as it's it's an it's a verb almost like an active verb and that something that was really really cool that i kind of came across as I was reading more about utopia um, is that there's all these studies now, like by neural, you know, neuroscientists that, that hope there's even hope therapy now that hope is, mm-hmm. is being used to alleviate uh, depression and anxiety. And it's being, it's being discussed as like the opposite cognitive behavior as memory or memory is we set ourselves in the past in our minds and then hope is the opposite we are the ability to set ourselves in the future Mm -hmm. and just the act of doing that like setting ourselves in a hopeful future Mm -hmm. is the first step in making that happen yeah Um, we start thinking about okay what are the obstacles in the way like this is how movements get get start just just by hoping just imagining Mm -hmm. um what, what could be and so at the end of the day like even though you know like things are really Bad. like there's all these climate tipping points that we're coming so close to and a lot of like a lot of talk um from people in charge but not a lot happening but when I see you know I, I was talking just a little bit about like when the pandemic hit and saw people come really come out for each other um in different and like in that in the summer of Black Lives Matter like I think people are hungry to join a big collective project and I do think if something like this uh, opened up um, that it would have such momentum and in a really, I don't know, kind of like a two for one, this is what we, like, something like the Green New Deal or the Great Transition, the big collective project, like would would really help us save what's left of the world. But I think would also go a long ways in saving ourselves. Like we do have this. The opioid epidemic and, and just like record levels of depression and loneliness and suicide and school shootings and just those kind of malaise and it feels like you know having something to hope for as as a group um would be could go along a really long way um so you know despite all the news uh i, I am really hopeful at the end of the day
0: mm. oh i appreciate that this is one of the earliest i feel like i'm kind of gonna have to stop with like plot because there's so there's such a like just i mean you're the ideas the themes are so interesting and so topical um but the plot is awesome like the world building the plot is just so many twists and turns and so interesting i really don't want to kind of step on those on those toes i'll 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 talk about a little bit more but i wanted to go on with what you were saying about hope and all that like hope and all that i say like it's a (laughs) it's like nothing important we can understand Larch's point of view, right? Larch worked yeah. worked really hard, and he's seen reason for optimism because it's been done before, right? They were able yeah. to to, to, get, to get to zero to zero carbon emissions, right? But also, I I think we can all, and I can't. I have not had a such a disadvantaged life, but like we can all identify with Christina too. She's like, well, w- well, wait a minute, like everyone gets off the hook.
1: Mm-hmm.
0: These are people that like it shouldn't have had to be necessary, and people died because of this. People died in trying to bring it back to zero carbon emissions or people died because of the rising sea and fires and all of that. So there's that idea of justice. Part of it is, you know, she comes from the global South. She comes from Mexico. He said that's been something where the global South, I mean, going all of colonialism, right, has been forced out of countries many times, you know, with colonization, refugee status. Long way of getting at with such different worldviews, uh, Larch and Christina in the end, were they were they ever meant to be together? Like is that a good match? I mean, they had they had a lot of things in common in the beginning.
1: yeah, was that a good think,
0: match, or was it like meant to be just fleeting?
2: I think I mean, yes, yeah, so when when the book opens, they've they've been together um just over fifteen years, and their marriage is really on the rocks, yeah, um and you know that's such a good question. Where are they meant to be when they met, um, they uh, Larch was uh, a, a hero of the transition because he he was a star, a reality show star. Mm-hmm. Um, just like when the New Deal um, during in the 30s, the New Deal had a lot of kind of uh, public camp public awareness campaigns mm-hmm. going along with it to raise awareness about the New Deal programs and to popularize them. Same things happening. In the Department of Emergency Transition is putting out all this cult, all this content. And one of them is a reality show following this crew in New York City. And Larch becomes a reality show star. And yeah. so he's known, right? People recognize him. And then he goes on to become this hotshot. Um he's uh you know, jumping parachuting to to try to to save some important biomes. And then and then Christina is a real big celebrity for a different reason, like she pretty much is part of this crew that really kind of kickstarts the transition 2.0 mm-hmm. and makes it what it is. And so I guess I was thinking about sometimes when we see celebrities together um, and it seems like a strange pairing, but they are experiencing life that maybe, you know, we just don't know like that level of fame. Um, yeah, yeah, yeah. They find some comfort in that. And so I think Large and Christina, you know, they're, they're, they're both have the celebrity status. There's also the circumstances of how they meet um, is contributes a lot to their origin story um, because they meet under some pretty harrowing circumstances,
1: mm-hmm.
2: and um, and then just lastly, when they kind of decide to be together, it's it's at the moment when humanity when when it's announced that we've reached zero emissions mm-hmm. and the transition is kind of in some ways. Well, Christina wouldn't say it's over, but a lot of people are saying like the war is over.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: And I think about, you know, the pictures we can still see it from like Times Square when victory was announced in World War II. Mm-hmm. And that that moment of jubilation when um I bet I could ju- I could just imagine that you would think like anything's possible and you could just kind of, you know, it'd be so easy to be enraptured and in love and make mm-hmm. big promises and plans. That uh, as the years go on, in reality, yeah. maybe weren't the best, right? The best idea. So I'd say it's a a whole host of circumstances that brought them together, and it does end up being a tough pairing for sure.
0: Do doing the math, I wonder if, uh, I wonder if Emmy was possibly conceived the night of.
2: I think there's a high <laughs> a high probability. Yes. <laughs>
0: To to quote the uh, the New England basketball star Kevin Garnett, anything is possible. <laughs> right after he won the title, um, so yeah, I, I mean I don't know if you, you call it like like in medius rest the story does start kind of like the classic like you may wonder how I got here type of thing, right? And you you have such cool arcs where you, there's Emmy's writing her essay, Emmy's also narrating the present time, Large is narrating the present time, but he's also talking about how he got to know Christina. you know, going back to his childhood and all that he's been through. And so it's cool because like really early on in the book, we have the Z day celebration, right? The, the zero commemorating the zero um, carbon emissions. And that really is a hugely pivotal uh, moment and day for the rest of the book. So it also, you know, it so as the book goes on, we, you know, and unfurls more secrets, if you will, or more things that make more sense. But at the time of, the Z Day celebration and the kind of disastrous things that happen, you're like a little bit in the dark. But you yeah. said you do such a cool job of opening one little window, one hey. little window at a time.
2: Thanks. Appreciate that. I think um maybe it was Tony Early. It was another, I think maybe it was Tony, another great writer who talked about, uh, I just thought it was a great writing tip about lighting fuses, mm. um, right? Like in earlier drafts as I'm writing. Mm-hmm. Like just set something up and it's like you've lit, you've lit a fuse and then you just know like that fuse is got to go off at some point. Something yeah. has to happen, um, right? Like some cops come and knock on Larch's door. Like that's a fuse that's lit. I don't know what's going to happen yet, um, but it's going to lead to something down the way. And so I think that thinking about it like that really helped to, um, yeah, to kind of like, as you say, to unravel these mysteries little by little.
0: Yeah. So like, you know, so cool to read about them in the moment, like as it's happening, let's say Zita and all that. But, like, it's not exactly the same, but, you know, like, you know, The Lottery by Shirley Jackson? Yeah. Right? I mean, I I read that for the first time, like, recently, four or five years ago. But just that reading experience, right, where, like, at the very end, when you find out the incredible secret or, like, twist, you're just like, whoa, and how everything reads differently at the beginning now.
1: Right.
0: And you have a lot of that in the book, right, where it's like, okay, I see where Christina's anger comes from and rage, and I see why she... (laughs) I'm making all these off-the-wall allusions, but I'm thinking of the song Johnny Cash, A Boy Named Sue.
2: Oh yeah.
0: Right. That's that's Christina, right? She's yeah. she wants to get her just like the, the guy named his son Sue because he knew the world would be tough and he'd have to be hardened up. Yeah, yeah, you know, exactly. I mean, right?
1: right.
0: Maybe finish with uh you know, with um a couple of the, the themes that really stood through is you said you really wrote a lot of it or it gave you a different point of view. Obviously, when the pandemic hit and you talked about mutual aid societies and communities, there's so much that in this book. I want to say it was when Emmy was interviewing her mom for her essay and the mom was basically like, duh, because the question was basically like, do you think an individualism was part of the crisis?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: And she's like, yeah. You talk about how you saw a lot of great things with, with the world when pandemic hit and I know what you mean, but we also saw the worst. Right. We saw people who basically were like, I don't care if I, uh, masking for me is an inconvenience and yeah, it may kill people or sp- keep, you know, you know what I mean? We saw some of the worst. Yeah. So I was really struck by that about just seeing, especially Americans, we consider individualism and rugged individualism such a big deal. And we've seen the the absolute horrible things that could come from that with like COVID and such. I just wonder about, about community. I was I was so struck by how the world seems so small. You talked about like the bullet train, and it was kind of a, a small piece in the book, but it was like they were gonna take the bullet train from I want to say like Arizona to Chicago. Yeah. stop off stop off in michigan nuke has like a sister city and they all have sister cities they get from nuke in greenland to new york like seemingly like in an hour and just seems like the world's so small so I, I guess i'm kind of fumbling through but just like this idea of like the world is big or small how interconnected we are and this idea of community with that
2: sure yeah and i think you know like i was thinking even during even in world war ii like the outbreak of world war ii you know, there is and this is I, I I've just looked back to World War II a lot because that's a time when uh, the country really came out for like we really mobilized where people were growing food in their gardens and res- like recycling every scrap of metal for this yeah, war. Yeah. and um but at the same time like shortly before the outbreak of World War II like there's a huge Nazi rally in Madison Square Garden yeah uh, I think like you know in any big collective moment there's always going to be yeah, like a bunch of assholes who aren't going to wear, who don't want to mask up. And I think what's what's missing is a big collective project to counter that. And we didn't really have one in the pandemic. And so without any kind of like guidance or, or, you know, leadership, it's like everyone's on their own. Mm -hmm. And I think what we saw a lot of in the very beginning, like I saw a lot of hope and and, and like when we saw checks going out to everybody with when we've heard mm. for years, like basic universal basic income, like that can't work. The government can't just print money. And then actually we can. Right. So that was another reminder, too, just that like the world that we think is fixed is not. And like things can be so different. Mm. But I guess, you know, and I just think about like the history of our species and that this, like, you know, us competing against each other. Uh, like we do now, it's like pretty, pretty recent, um, this economic system that we have. And I just think like in our hearts, like we're, you know, we're one of the few communal species, like we literally can't live alone, like really by ourselves, we'll go insane. And there's not that many species out there that are that are like that. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think the other thing that just kept like that I kept thinking about as I was writing the book and afterwards, is like some of the times where I felt most alive in my life, have been when i started going back through them like in moments of almost like enrapturement and awe have been always in moments almost always in moments of group like groups doing something together so if i think back to like my earliest days it would have been being on a sports team but then also like dancing with with a big group of people in sync or uh, singing together um a lot of people experience this kind of feeling i think in church or uh or 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 like rooting for a sports team. And I've also felt it at protests and on a picket line. And it's such a powerful feeling. And uh, I I feel like we all know that we we know that feeling. And it's just part of our humanity. And it's got to be like embedded into our genome, because that's how we're so successful as a species working Mm -hmm. together. And I think like cooperation comes really naturally to us. Yeah. When, when given like a system and a movement and, and and kind of like a project that allows for it, I think Mm. people will be, you know, kind of like hungry for it. Um, And so those are the kind of, you know, those are the kind of things that kept me, it kept me hopeful and, and, and were really helpful for like imagining what a new, better world could, could look like, even amidst a lot of climate disaster.
0: I'm only partly kidding. Like, I feel like in, like we need to take on the great transition and like, the new deal, yeah. what a name, what an, what an idea, what an ethic behind it. So like AOC, let's go, like ta- tag that onto a bill or something. I mean, right. No. I mean, seriously. Yeah.
2: Yeah. yeah. We got to, um, it's gotta, it's gotta, it's gotta come back. And you know, the the other thing I'll mention that was really hopeful is by the end of, like, I always forget about this, but in February, 2020, in January, I was, my wife and I had been, uh, camp, we'd been volunteering for the Bernie Sanders campaign mm then I was, because of what I mentioned earlier about our all our battles with the health insurance industry. And he was like the man that was going to take that on. And so we were really excited about him. And then I got hired on to knock doors in New Hampshire in January and February. Mm. And that was the time of like, like he won New Hampshire and Iowa and Nevada. He was on a roll and it really seemed like things were going to get, you know, we were going to shake. Something was going to change. Like the two-party system Mm. were stuck in. Something was going to change. It was this really big diverse coalition Mm -hmm. um, and it was, I guess like the reason I mentioned that is that we, I feel like we got nervous, like as a country, like, I don't know, this seems like too risky and uh, it's too bad, but whatever, we gotta move on. And something like that will happen again. Like it just has to, it has something like a movement like his will come up again and he was a big supporter of the Green New Deal. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think like this time we just got to go for it because like, we just don't have time anymore and we have to take, you know, we have to yeah. take a big chance and do something radical. Yeah. And um, I, I guess I just saw that 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 is hopeful and like, it, it'll come, I think it'll come back around again. And hopefully this time, this time we'll take a closer look at it and make yeah. it a reality.
0: I mean, Bernie twenty twenty four. If Biden's what eighty and Trump's seventy seven, like Sanders isn't too old. Why not twenty twenty eight then? Twenty twenty
2: eight, yeah. Bernie twenty twenty eight.
0: Man, yeah. That was a that was such an exciting time. Yeah, he's making his move. Man, not not to be like corny or cheesy about it, but like in Sacramento, me being in Sacramento, you being in Maine, like it almost we almost literally might be the most you know far that we can be in the United States, right? True, that's true right so besides the obvious like zoom it seems like both of us were radicalized or both of us were were definitely shaped by la and it's not like we probably lived like five minutes away from each other
2: Amazing. yeah i think you're you know?
0: right so yeah i was really even just like the bulletin thing i'm like man you can just like stop off at a place if it takes four hours to get from tucson to chicago or whatever and cleveland has the uh, the Music Hall of Fame, Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. So if I go to this city, it'd be sister cities, and yeah, yeah, um, it doesn't seem too far off that this that those could be a reality in the future, and and not just technology supposedly bringing us closer together. It seems like it's taking us farther apart, but like really, really logical ways that we can be more in community. This book deserves a place in college course. i you know like an environmental studies course. It deserves a place in a speculative fiction or science fiction it deserves a place in so many different places. I feel like it's got a big, I've used the pun before, a big shelf life. Mm. So you could, I would, you would be totally justified in just being like, you know what? I did my book, it's out there. But I wonder if maybe you have any other projects in the in the works.
2: Yes, I do. I'm working on, uh, HGA Books is signed on for another novel. Not, not nice. equal, but um, okay. another novel. So I'm working on that right now.
0: Can you write? I know she got injured. I know it's partly because of her injury. You are talking about em- Emiliana, but like, could she ball? Like, I want a book about her basket. She got cut from the team in this in the second place.
2: Yeah, she's a skater now.
0: Okay, okay, uh, she's like on the average. Uh, v- she's v- young.
2: V- yeah, she could come back.
0: Okay, I'd, uh, I'd read that book, I, or maybe in the short story. Uh, yeah. All right. So you keep you, you're being kind of uh, cryptic about the second one, which is fine.
2: Oh yeah, it's uh, it, we, we got a uh, is a story about three sisters. Mm-hmm. and um they were in a band they are in a band but they were one hit wonders and so a year <laughs> they're washed they're washed out oh. uh, one of them uh ends up arrested for some pretty big charges and they need to crowdsource they need to finally get their act together to crowdsource this uh album uh to get her out in time wow Then um, at the same time they have which is you know like theme similar themes pop up in. Mm. in in writers kind of different books. So they have uh, their mother is a very committed activist who is at this moment deciding to choose her mission versus helping her daughters. Mm. And uh, her mission is she is sailing on something called the American Rescue Cruise, which is goal is to bring humanitarian supplies to Gaza, which has been under Israeli siege for so long now that when I started writing this book, you know, Wow. years ago um that was the reality then and of course now it's even more um i don't know it's a whole different depressing yeah. situation now yeah, um man. but anyway, that's like the general setup for that novel and yeah i'm cranking away at it wow. uh, it's been fun i have a short story that's going to come out in um the southern review soon that was nice. really that was a fun a fun short story so wow. um a bunch of different little projects
0: yeah Wow. Good for you. I mean, that book sounds incredibly interesting. And yeah, that's that says so much that you're writing about Gaza and that was before this most recent
2: years ago, yeah.
0: uptick. Oh my gosh. Wow. You can be found online and you're on Twitter and Instagram. Yes, I am. All right. Yeah. Do you have a TikTok?
1: No, too no. old.
0: Yeah. <laughs> I, I hear you. I hear you. I hear you. Also, <laughs> I look forward to those, those next books. This Again, congratulations. I mean, this is an incredible achievement just if it's your ninth book. But for it to be your first is pretty uh, pretty mind-boggling. I'll be promoting the heck out of this book in my, all my little circles. And congrats and continued great luck with your writing.
2: Thanks so much, Pete. Honor to be on the podcast. Really appreciate it. Thanks for all the you do.
0: Pleasure to talk to you. Thank you. so much for nick for his generosity of time and spirit and continued good luck to him with his teaching and his writing i'm so looking forward to continuing to follow his career and his important work thank you for listening to this episode of the chills at will podcast you can now subscribe on apple podcast and leave a five-star review you can also ask for it by name using alexa and find it on stitcher spotify and on amazon music follow me on instagram where i'm at chills at will podcast or on twitter where I'm at Chills at Will P-O-1, the digit 1. This episode will not be on YouTube, but you can watch other episodes on the Chills at Will podcast channel. Please subscribe to both my YouTube channel and my podcast while you're checking out this episode. Sign up now for the Chills at Will podcast Patreon. It can be found at patreon.com backslash Chills at Will podcast Peter Real. My last name is spelled R-I-E-H-L. Check out the page that describes the benefits of a Patreon membership, including cool swag and bonus episodes. Thanks in advance for supporting my one-man show, my DIY podcast, and my extensive reading, research, editing, and promoting to keep this independent podcast pumping out high-quality content. This is a passion project of mine, a DIY operation, and I'd love for your help in promoting what I'm convinced is a unique and spirited look in an often ignored art form. The intro song for the Chills Will podcast is Wind Down, Instrumental Version, and the other song played on this episode is Hoops Instrumental by Matt Whitehour, and both songs are used through archesaudio.com. Please tune in for episode 216 with Kate Maruyama, whose novel Harrogate was published by 47 North in 2013. Her novella Family Solstice was named Best Fiction Book of 2021 by Rue Morgue Magazine, and her short work has appeared in Asimov's Magazine and Analog SF, among other journals. The episode will air on December 12th. For now, thanks again for listening. I hope that these uncertain days bring you texts by writers with mad skills, like Nick fuller Guggins Whose Work, like The Great Transition, gives you chills at will. <laughs>